I think most of you know that I am a little bit of a Star Wars fan. Um, <laughs> that's an understatement. Uh, I, I happen to love the Star Wars movies. Um, I grew up watching the original trilogy over and over and over again. I love those movies. And, and as they began to put out the additional movies, I've, I've loved those as well. And, and I have to admit, I have sort of encouraged a love for Star Wars in my kids too. Um, you know, they, they have grown to love these characters and these stories as well. And one of the themes in Star Wars is this battle between the dark side and the light side of the Force. That there is the, there's the Force and that, but within the force, there is the light side, there's the dark side. And the first mention of the force and the dark side is actually in the original Star Wars movie, A New Hope, where the, the Jedi master, Obi-Wan Kenobi, tells Luke Skywalker about one of his pupils named Darth Vader, who was seduced by the dark side of the force. Um, and later on, we realize that, spoiler alert, Darth Vader is actually Luke's father. If you didn't know that, you've probably been living under a rock for the last couple of decades. So, but but uh, he talks about how Anakin, you know, was seduced by the dark side of the Force, and he turned to the dark side. And throughout the movies, we see this actually in several different characters, this battle internally between the pull to the light side and to the dark side of the Force. Well, in our text today, we're actually going to see the same kind of language used of light and darkness, um, to describe also the internal struggle that we often feel in our own lives, the pull towards the dark, towards, towards sin and evil, and then the pull towards light, towards, towards following God and, and obeying him and living our lives for him. Um, last Sunday, we, we started a, a new sermon series for this fall that uh, we're looking at the book of First John, and I'm calling this, this sermon series First John, A Letter of love, because a lot of this book is, is talking about love, God's love for us, and also our love for one another. And last week, we, we just looked at the first four verses of this letter that were sort of an introduction to the letter, and the Apostle John, he talked a lot in those first four verses about proclaiming a person, he talked about, that his proclamation was not just a philosophy, not a code of morals, but it was a person. It was Jesus Christ and who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us. And, and he talked at the end of those verses, though, about how this proclamation of Jesus is meant to let lead to fellowship. That's the word that he uses, fellowship or communion with God, but also fellowship with each other. And so in, the, in this next part of, of, of the, the letter, in today's text, John is going to continue this theme of, of having fellowship with God and fellowship with each other, and he brings in this language of light and darkness to illuminate that for us. Catch that play on words, illuminate, light, darkness, yes, okay. Um, so the title of my sermon today is Walking in the Light. We sang a hymn just a little bit earlier, um, talking about walking in the light. That's very much based on this passage. And we're going to be looking at how John talks about this idea of walking in the light in our lives. So our text today is 1 John chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 5 through um, the second verse of chapter 2. So 1 John 1, 5 through chapter 2, verse 2. So hear God's word to us this morning. 
John writes, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let's pray. Open our hearts and our, our ears, Lord, today to your word and to what you want to speak to us, God, of what it means to walk in the light, to walk in your light. And so speak now, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to look at, at actually four different aspects of this idea of walking in the light that we see in today's text. And the first aspect that we see of walking in the light, what that means, what that's talking about, is walking in fellowship with God. That walking in the light means walking in fellowship with God. Um, in the very first verse of our text that I read, John, in verse 5, John says, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And so when, when John here says that God is light, he's primarily talking about God is perfect and holy and righteous, that he is pure. And, and, and when he says that in him is no darkness at all, he's saying that there is no sin, no evil, no corruption in God. He is pure light, pure holiness, pure righteousness. And so if God is light then walking in the light would mean walking in God, right? Walking in fellowship and communion with God. Uh, last week, I mentioned that this word fellowship that John uses, it's the English translation of the Greek word koinonia. And, and that word koinonia, it, it refers to having something in common, of sharing in something together, communion with one another. And, and so God, he created humanity to have koinonia, community, fellowship with him, right? To be in the light with God. And that's exactly what God did when he first created the first humans. That's what, exactly what they had. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they had perfect communion, fellowship with their father, with God. They were walking in the light. But then John goes on in verse 6 to say, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Because John says that there is no darkness in God. 
right? There is no darkness. And so if we want to have true fellowship and communion with him who is the light, then we can't walk in darkness because light and darkness are incompatible. They can't coexist. Another way to say that is that holiness and sin are incompatible. We can't, they can't coexist. Sin is the, is the way that the Bible talks about falling short of perfection, falling short of God's standard of perfection. And so if we have any sin in us, then we cannot walk in true fellowship with God because God is perfect and he's holy. He is light. And that's exactly what happened when Adam and Eve first sinned. When they disobeyed God in the garden, what happened? It broke their fellowship with God. They were no longer in the light. And God actually cast them out of the Garden of Eden because they could no longer be in his presence. They could no longer be in his light because they had sinned. They had darkness within them. Sin cannot coexist with holiness and perfection. But that causes a huge problem for us, doesn't it? Because each and every one of us has sinned and continues to sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Whenever we have our, our service of communion, we pray a corporate confession of sin. And in that confession, we say this. We say, Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. I want you to think about that statement for a minute. We say we have sinned against you in thought. How do we do that? That fleeting thought of jealousy, right? When, when you wish that you had what that other person has, or, or when you silently judge someone and, and you're filled with this kind of smug pride that you're way better than that other person, right? sinning in the thought. Or that thought of anger and rage at what the other person said or did to you and you're, you're just filled with, with anger and bitterness and sinning in thought. You say that we've sinned against you in word. We take those angry thoughts and and we often turn them into hurtful, piercing words at the other person. Right? We're angry and we lash out with our words. Or you turn those, those prideful, judgmental thoughts against someone into gossip or slander. We start talking bad about that person to someone else, sinning with our words. We've sinned against you indeed when you sabotage that person that you can't stand, you try to do something to, to make their life miserable, or, or you, you're trying to take for yourself what that other person has that you want. You're, you're stealing or you're trying to, to take for yourself, or, or sometimes even physically or psychologically harming that person that you're so angry with. We all sin in thought, in word, and in deed. 
And then it goes on to say that we've done it by what we have done and by what we have left undone. Not only do we sin through the thoughts, words, and deeds that we commit against people, but actually the good thoughts, words, and deeds that we should have done, but we don't do. The kind word that we failed to speak to that person. Or the sacrificial act of love that, that we should have done, but, but we didn't. Or the gracious and forgiving thought that we should have had, but we didn't. Each and every day, you and I, we walk in the darkness. Right? We do. If we're honest, if we really think about it, we turn away from the perfect light of God. And John says if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Whew. Walking in the darkness means that we cannot have fellowship with God. And so is there any hope for us? Is there any hope for us walking in the light of walking in fellowship with God when we so often are walking in the darkness? There is hope. There is hope. And that hope starts with the next aspect of what it means to walk in the light that John talks about here, which is, number two, being honest about our sin. Being honest about our sin. Because we all sin, right? We all walk in darkness. There is nothing we can do about that because actually the Bible teaches that we are born with a sinful nature. Psalm 51 verse 5 says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, sin entered the human race, and now we are born with a sinful, natural tendency to disobey God, to go our own way. And so we are actually born walking in darkness and out of fellowship with God. That's our natural state. I've said this before, but if you spend any time with young children, you soon realize you don't need to teach them how to disobey. You don't need to teach them to be self-centered. That comes very naturally, because that's part of our nature. That's how we're, we're born with sin. We're born with selfishness. And so the question is, if this is the reality that each and every one of us has, how will we deal with the reality of that sin? Will we acknowledge it, or will we deny it? Being honest about our sin is actually the first step into walking into the light. If we deny our sin, we stay in the darkness. This is exactly what John goes on in verse 8 to say, where he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He right? says so that if we, if we walk in the darkness and say that we're in fellowship with God, we, we're lying, we're deceiving ourselves, and if we claim that we are without sin, we also lie. The truth is not in us. You see, we can choose to deny our sin, to excuse it, to downplay it, to rationalize it, but when we do that, we're continuing to walk in the darkness. Not only are we sinning, but now we're lying about that sin. I was talking to someone this, this past week 
who had shared some, some news with, with a coworker that was, that was confidential. And, and that coworker, though, ended up sharing that news with another coworker. And then that coworker ended up sharing the news with a supervisor. And it wasn't bad news, but it, was, it had been shared in confidence. And so this person felt betrayed by their coworkers because it wasn't their news to share. And so, so they, they confronted the co- coworkers and, and shared about how, what, I, I told you that in confidence. Why would you share that? And what was the coworkers' response? They didn't apologize. They didn't admit they'd done anything wrong. No, they started to explain why they did what they did and why it wasn't wrong. Does that sound familiar at all? They defended and justified themselves. And, and this, this person said that it was actually that response of them not even being willing to admit what they had done that actually hurt even more than the original breaking of confidence. Verse 10 of our text says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word has no place in our lives. God's word says, all have sinned. That includes you. That includes me. And the more that we get to know God's word, the more we realize how often we do sin in thought, in word, in deed even in small, subtle ways. But what do we see in our culture around us when someone is confronted with doing something wrong? What do we see? The response is almost always downplaying, deflecting, defending, and denying. Right? That is the, what we see in our culture, the way that people deal with. When you're confronted with what you've done, no, 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 you try to excuse yourself, push off the responsibility, And when we are unwilling to be honest about our sin, we keep walking in the darkness. So what's the alternative? How can we take a step into the light when we recognize our sin? Verse 9 says, if we confess our sin. We confess our sin. The word, the Greek word there that's translated confess literally means to speak the same thing. To speak the same word. In other words, to agree with what's being said. So to confess our sin to God means to agree with God about our sin. When God says, you've broken my law, you've sinned, you have not walked in the light. When we confess our sin is to say, yes, God, you're right. I have not walked in the light. I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. And that is what we do. In that corporate confession of sin I was talking about earlier, we say, most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean, and we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. We're agreeing with what God's word says about our sinful nature, and we're agreeing that we have acted on that sinful nature in our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. And when we do this, when we let God's light shine and expose our darkness, to expose our sin. And when we acknowledge what we've done and what we've failed to do, guess what happens? Something miraculous happens. The next aspect of walking in the light 
is number three, receiving God's forgiveness. The rest of verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, what happens? He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You know, I actually say that verse every communion service right after we say that corporate confession of sin. We we confess our sins to God together, and immediately I say, brothers and sisters, hear this good news from 1 John 1, 9. Because we need to be reminded of that promise that as soon as we confess our sins to God, we're forgiven. That we're purified from our unrighteousness. That the moment we step into God's light and acknowledge our sin and are honest about the darkness that's within, guess what happens? God's light dispels the darkness in our lives. Our sin is gone. The darkness is gone. Think about this. Think about how light, physical light, actually does that. If you're in a pitch black room, completely dark, there's no light, there's only darkness. But the moment you turn on a light, what happens? The light immediately removes the darkness from wherever it is shining. Right? Here's a picture that that just gives a a glimpse of that. This the light shining in the darkness, right? Where that light is, there's no longer darkness. The light dispels the darkness. Because darkness can't coexist, it can't exist when a light is shining. Earlier, we talked about how the darkness of our sin keeps us from fellowship with the perfect light of God, right? Because of our darkness, we can't be with him. We can't be with his perfect light. But God's solution to that problem is to shine his light on our darkness and take it away and remove it so that our sins are forgiven and that we're purified from all unrighteousness. There's a movie back in the 1980s, referenced in another oldie but a goodie here, um, a movie that was called Gremlins that, uh, that has these, these cute, cuddly little creatures there on the left. Um, they're called Mo- Mogwai, I think it was, was the, the term. And, and these, but these, these little creatures, these cute little creatures, though, they become these really ugly, horrible creatures called Gremlins in the movie. And what happens is that if you get a, one of these mogwai or the gremlin wet, they multiply. They start produ- you know, reproducing all, all kinds all over the place. And if you feed one of those cute cuddly guys after midnight, then they turn into a gremlin. And so that's exactly what happens in the movie, that, that all these gremlins are spawned by this one cute little mogwai named Gizmo. And, and these gremlins, they begin to just like take over the town. They're causing havoc. They're, they're, they're just running amok. And even they lead to the death of some of the townspeople as a result of this. But there's one other rule about the mogwai or the gremlins that they can't be exposed to bright light or specifically to sunlight. Because if sunlight shines on a mogwai or a gremlin, it will die. And that ends up being the way that that the gremlins are finally defeated. That that little gizmo actually ends up opening a skylight to expose that final gremlin 
to sunlight, and it kills him. The gremlins, they wreak havoc in the darkness, but when the light shines on them, guess what happens? They're gone. That's exactly what happens with our sin. Our sin is like those little gremlins running around, right? When we are living in the darkness, when we, when we are not willing to shine God's light on our sin, it runs amok. Like that sin in our lives, it's there, it's present. It, it, it keeps us separated from God. Eventually, our sin will kill us eternally. Those gremlins, if they were allowed to run amok, they were going to destroy that town. That's what happens with our sin. But as soon as we shine God's light on our sin, as soon as we confess our sin and are honest about it, what happens? Our sin is destroyed. It's gone. It's wiped out. We're forgiven. We're cleansed. How does that happen? Well, back in verse 7, John says, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. How can God's light not destroy us, but actually destroy our sin and save us it is because of the blood of Jesus. John here is referring to the death of Jesus on the cross where he poured out his blood. And why did, why did his death matter? Because in chapter 2, verse 2, John expands on this by saying he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours but also for the sins of the whole world when jesus died on the cross he was offering himself up as the atoning sacrifice for our sins he was taking our place he was dying for us instead of us what happened when jesus was on the cross what happened to the sky it got completely dark. The sun went out. Jesus himself, he was taking all of the darkness of the world, the darkness of sin, of evil. He was taking it upon himself. He was experiencing a break of fellowship with the Father. As he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, the light of the world, was snuffed out on the cross by the darkness, by our sin. At least it looked that way. He experienced that for us so that we don't have to experience that. And when Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, he showed that the light could not be snuffed out, that he, the light, had conquered the darkness. And so now our sin no longer separates us from fellowship with God because Jesus has paid for that sin on the cross. The blood of Christ purifies us from all our sin. And guess what happens because of that? This leads to the fourth and final aspect of walking in the light, which actually is the first one that I talked about. It's the same one, only this time, now we can actually do that fourth one. What is the fourth aspect of walking in the light? It is walking in fellowship with God. And then also John adds with one another. Because our sins have been forgiven, 
Because the darkness has been removed from us, guess what? Now we can walk in the light with God. We can walk with him. We can be in fellowship with him because our sin has been dealt with, because the darkness has been removed. Before we trust in Christ, we cannot be with him. But because of Jesus, now we can. Now we can walk in the light. We can walk in fellowship with him. Sin is no longer a barrier because it's been removed and forgiven. And this has implications for how we live day to day. Because if Jesus has forgiven our sin and he's freed us from the darkness that we were walking in, then why would we want to turn away from God's light and walk in the darkness anymore? Right? If he's forgiven us of our sin, why would we go running back to our sin? If he's freed us from the darkness, why would we want to go back to the darkness This is what John is getting at when he says in in chapter 2, verse 1, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. John is hoping and praying that what he's just said about the fact that when we confess our sins, we're forgiven, that he's hoping that that will sink in and that his readers will no longer sin, will no longer be drawn to the sin, to the darkness. John's hope is that in light of what Jesus has done, that they will walk away from the darkness and walk in the light. That they'll be so fixated on the light of Jesus that they won't even want to turn back to the darkness. And and that this fellowship with God also leads to fellowship with one another. That it has implications for our lives together. The beginning of verse 7 says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another too. I touched on this last week when when John talked about proclaiming Christ leads to fellowship with each other. And and I'm not going to dive into this today because a lot of the rest of John's letter is going to unpack that for us, what it means to walk in fellowship with each other, what it means to live in communion with, with one another, what it means to love one another. But I want you to hear that, that part of what walking in the light means is that it, it means it affects our relationships with each other. It means that we should be loving one another. We should be living in the light with each other. We should be confessing our sin against each other. We should be offering forgiveness to each other. It means loving each other in thought, in word, and deed. Not just avoiding sinning against people, but actually actively loving people in sacrificial ways. But here's the thing. It's important to realize that we won't do this perfectly. We won't, because we still have that sinful nature. And so here's the good news, that as John says, he's writing this letter so that his readers won't sin, he immediately follows that with saying this, but if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus knows that we will sin. John is hoping that the forgiveness of God will lead his readers to avoid sin, but he knows they won't do it perfectly. And so he reminds them again of Jesus. That here he says, Jesus, he's the one who will defend you. He's your advocate before the Father. 
He will speak to the Father in our defense. So whenever we sin, we can know that Jesus will speak about what he's done for us in our defense. And so walking in the light, really what it means is it means going through a continual cycle over and over again of all the things we've talked about today. Right? Because we're going to sin. But how will we respond when we sin? Will we bring it into the light? Will we be honest about our sin? And when we do, we receive God's forgiveness. The sin is gone. The darkness is gone. And we are invited then to walk in the light, to follow him over and over and over again. The first of Martin Luther's famous 95 theses says, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. The entire life of believers is continual repentance. We never get beyond confession. We never get beyond repentance. We never get beyond needing God's forgiveness until Christ returns or we go home to be with him. And so while we are waiting in this time, it is actually the process of continually confessing our sin and receiving God's forgiveness, as Luther says, a life of repentance, which actually leads to fellowship with God and with each other. That leads to walking in the light. I've shared this before. But I have a weekly call with another pastor and every week, we reflect on our past week. And when we do, guess what? We always notice ways that we have sinned, ways that we have fallen short, ways that we have not spoken perfectly, we have not thought perfectly, we have not acted perfectly. And so we bring it into the light with each other. And then we go to the Lord in prayer, in a prayer of confession, saying, God, I acknowledge, here's the ways that I've fallen this week. Forgive me again. And then what we each do for each other is we proclaim God's forgiveness to each other. I say to my, my friend, all that God has just heard from you, know that all of that has been paid for on the cross. You're forgiven. And he says that to me. And you know what happens at the end of that call when we go our separate ways? we are so energized to want to walk in the light, to want to follow him, to want to love our neighbor, to want to love our wives and to love our kids and to want to love our congregation. To want to walk in the light. Because the more that we hear the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus, the more that we want to follow him. So as we close, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to do what we've been talking about here, to step into the light and to confess the areas in your life where there's darkness, to be honest with God about our sin, to stop hiding in the darkness, to stop denying or defending our sin, but instead to confess it to the Lord. 
And so we're going to have a time of, of just silence before I close us in prayer where I want to invite you to, to just invite God's light to shine in your heart and to illuminate any area in your life where you have been sinning in thought or in word or in deed by what you've done or by what you've left undone. Bring those things into the light. Confess them to God and know that Jesus has paid for all of those sins in full on the cross. And so as I pray, I will be reminding you that all the sin that we confess right now in the silence, that Jesus has paid for that and we are forgiven. And we are invited to then walk in the light from here. So let's pause for a time of just silent confession and inviting God's light to illuminate and search our own hearts as we confess our sin to our God. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the light of the world. We thank you that you, you shine your light upon our sin and our darkness, not to shame us, but so that we could be forgiven. We pray that, in, that the sin that you have exposed in our own hearts, even now, as we have brought it to you, as we have confessed that sin, in the silence, that you would bring a deep sense of assurance to each person here that all of that sin has been removed. All of that sin has been paid for in full on the cross. And that as we have confessed that sin to you, now we know that you have forgiven those sins and you have purified us from all unrighteousness, that when you look upon us, God, you only see light. You don't see the darkness anymore. You don't see those acts, those words, those thoughts, but you see Jesus clothing us in light. You look upon us as sons and daughters of yours who you are pleased with. You, you turn and you say, look at my son, look at my daughter. I'm so proud of them that they were willing to be honest about their sin. They were willing to step into the light, even as scary as it might have been, to receive that forgiveness, to be clothed in light. And now, Lord, we pray that as we go from here, that we would walk in the light we would not turn back 
to those sins, that we would not turn back to the darkness. Lord, we know that we will struggle. We know that we won't do it perfectly, but we pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us more and more into the light and that when we fail, we would be quick to confess again and quick to receive your forgiveness and quick to once again walk in your light. We know that you are the only one that can do this in us, God. But we thank you that you do, that you want to. And so as we sing this song of response, as as we are invited to come and bring our brokenness and our sin to you, we know that you are the one who forgives us and cleanses us, that you have paid for our sin in full by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.